Welcome to Apostrophe Cast. This episode, we bring you a reading from David Peake's unpublished novel, The River Through the Trees. Good fiction makes strange places seem familiar, and familiar places seem strange. It forces us to empathize with enemies and re-examine our friends. It allows us to consider the unthinkable and understand the inscrutable. David Peake's reading does all this and more. Please enjoy David Peake. So... What I'm about to read is uh, a section of the novel that I'm currently writing. It's called The River Through the Trees. And, you know, living, I lived in Chicago for about six years and knew a lot of friends who really liked to drink a lot. And so I wanted to do that a little bit of justice and sort of put together a composite story of uh, several of their stories. Um, so the character's name is Holly. And, and this is her story. The Lincoln Park Alano Club held its AA meetings in a storefront, a small room with worn wood floors that had once been a daycare center. The walls were thin, and during meetings, the drone of the director's voice was often lost to the drone of traffic on Sheffield. The traffic was an all-day-long noise the kind of noise a person got used to quickly, if not only because they had to, if they lived in a place like that. The walls, they rattled, still painted with smiling pink bears, overlap from the daycare days, standing round-bellied, paw and paw beneath arching rainbows. At that meeting, there were only seven people, seven alcoholics, presumably, in attendance. Holly was there, too. There were eight people in attendance. The meeting was halfway over, and she, Holly, was already fucked. Her big gulp had about two or three gulps of Blue Label pop-off left. She'd known that pledging Tri-Beta was going to be like a real nightmare, but surviving Hell Week was such an important thing, something that might seem like it meant nothing, maybe down the road or something, but right now, on that day, was pretty much the only thing that meant anything. She wondered if the other people in the room could smell the vodka on her skin, her breath. She slouched in her chair. She didn't really care about those other people. Other people didn't exist, really. Not really. Not to her. Not when she felt soaring like this. The idea, the challenge, was to finish off a pint of vodka clandestinely, was the word her soon-to-be sisters had used, while attending an AA meeting. Holly said she was game, used those actual words, I'm game. They never doubted her. They had no reason to doubt her. Holly was always game for whatever. She could outdrink any of the frat boys at any of their gay-ass parties could smoke more dope, eat more pills, stay up later, out-party any motherfucker with balls enough to match her drink for drink. Only a sophomore and she was already a legend, or so she thought, so she'd been told. The door opened, swung and smacked loud against the wall, the sound of traffic everywhere in the room filling it like so much smoke. There was a guy in the doorway, and he was caked in dried mud, his jeans and his work boots. 
And then he stepped inside, shut the door, the sound of the traffic dull and distant again, settling. This guy, he reminded Holly of the men back home, back in northwestern Michigan, with their heavy faces and rotting teeth. He looked like he'd been awake for days, eyes all red and wild, face all unshaven. He took a few steps, boots heavy on the floor, and took a seat next to an older, balding dude with blue and bled-out tattoos all over his forearms. They exchanged some kind of look, like animals do when they're curious but hesitant, like animals do when they know each other, know each other but maybe don't trust each other, territorial but coexisting. Holly watched all of this and tipped up her cup, let the last bit of the Popov slide cold right down her throat, not even tasting it, just opened her throat up and took it down, and then closed her eyes for a bit and just listened to the way her head hummed heavy and hot. It was a good feeling, like swimming, and when she opened her eyes again, having swum, and let the room sort of wobble out its kinks and come together into something focused and sharp, she heard, was hearing, the mud-caked guy talking about something, telling a story, relating, about some girl he knew, some girl who died the night before, triggering his self-destructive impulses, his relapse, what brought him to this meeting on that day. But she didn't listen, couldn't bear to listen. It was all so boring, so self-important so terrible. She'd been to enough Al-Anon meetings with her dear, dear departed granddad, bless his soul, to know the kind of baggage these drunks carried with them through those doors. Not to mention all the shit her mother had put her through. It was just all so unbearable. An acidic burp crawled up her throat, flapped through her numb lips. An older woman sitting near the wall shot Holly a narrow-eyed scowl, and the director, the director was just staring, staring at Holly, shaking his head. Jesus. Maybe they just thought she was rude, a brat. How far does the smell of a burp travel? Why the fuck did it even matter? So what if they knew she was drunk? Time seemed to slip a bit. Holly's head nodded forward, yanked on the muscles in her neck. Her eyes opened wide. She licked her lips, shook it off. Then there was the sound of chair legs scraping the wood floor, and everyone came together in the center of the room. Holly stood wavering on her feet, bumping into plastic chairs with her thighs. Then someone's hand was in her hand, or covering her hand sweaty, and she stared at those pink bears painted on the walls with their dumb bellies and their stupid smug smiles, and thought to herself how everything was so stupid, and it seemed so profound at that moment, all wrapped up in the sticky webbing of her drunk. It seemed so right to think that everything was just fucking retarded. The grip on her hand tightened, her head swiveled. The mud-caked guy with the red raw eyes, staring right into her, like he knew. Jesus, he knew. 
She was drunk, and he knew it, and he was smiling like he didn't care, with his wild, red eyes. Then he nodded, or said something quiet, whispering, as the rest of the group went through the closing prayer, the director's voice loudest amongst the loud, cutting through the warbling worry in Holly's head, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. And then it was over, and the group, the ring, broke apart like so many spinning planets, spinning out of orbit and into unknown realms of space. And Holly had a cigarette in her hand, and it was already almost burned to its filter, sunlight everywhere, the mud-caked dude standing in front of her with his hand rubbing up and down her arm, and the balding guy with the blue tattoos and the big fucking ugly gut to her left saying something, his mustache all Holly could focus on, the traffic on Sheffield buzzing by in a streamline, glints of sunlight hitting chrome bursting white in her eyes, her mouth all sluggish and dry, tongue a big tangle, doing her best to keep up with these guys, walking fast, laughing, sidewalk all uneven and shit, on some side street, nothing she recognized, the guy with the tattoos opening a car door and helping Holly into the back seat. The mud-caked guy saying, it ain't even dark yet, we got the whole night ahead of us to party. And Holly's yelling, fuck yeah, who gives a shit, let's all fly forever into outer space, let's all fly into the sun. The mud-caked guy slid into the front seat, slammed the door, and looked up into the vanity mirror. You're pretty weird, aren't you girl? Where are we going? Jefferson Park. Where is that? Northwest side. Holly's head cleared a bit. Had cleared. How long? It was already getting dark. The street lights beyond her window. They pulsed orange. There's a blue line stop up there. Let me out. No response. The car was a two-door and she was in the back trapped. There was music, something garbled. The car's dash lit up a sick glowing green. She felt the flush of panic, just a bit, just enough to give her some boldness. I just remembered I have to be at my friend's house by seven. It's not seven yet, is it? She'll be looking for me. Well past seven, darling. Shit, did I leave my phone? Have, I, have either of you seen my phone? Nothing. Outside her window, an airplane fell from the sky in a rush of sound, its graceful, steady descent. So close it looked like a toy, a model. They were close to the airport, had to be, on the highway, flanked by endless rows of tiny houses behind tall mesh fences, the L train splitting the eight-lane expanse of concrete, keeping pace with the blur of traffic. All the time she'd been living in Chicago, nearly a year and a half now, and she'd never left Lincoln Park, had never left Lakeview, Old Town. The farthest west she'd ventured was Wicker Park, and even then it seemed distant, populated with aliens. She'd gone to a party once in the South Loop, or maybe that was the Gold Coast, she couldn't remember now. 
how little she knew about this city. She never had any reason to go back to Michigan, had never had any reason to leave the city. All of her bills were taken care of, Granddad had seen to that. All of her needs were met by the shops on Clark Street, the boutiques on North Avenue. Her tuition to DePaul was fully paid, so was her condo. Everything else was more than covered by the monthly installments allotted by her trust. The guy with the blue tattoos, he clicked on the blinker, took an exit, let the little car rattle its way through quiet streets of shuttered and dark-windowed houses, sagging trees and narrow sidewalks. He pulled up alongside a curb before a single-story duplex ranch and killed the engine, killed the lights. Everybody out. Like magic, a couple bottles of booze materialized. Some glasses half-filled with massive ice cubes. Then there was music, prog rock, or something like it, something terribly out of date, playing too loud. Something Holly only recognized from, from where? From TV? Cigarettes lit. And just like that, the party was started, or still going, whichever, it didn't matter. Holly sat on a low and long corduroy couch, legs tucked up at her side, fingers tangled in her hair. The apartment was sleazy, an entire wall of gold-veined mirror, low ceilings, everything red and dim and lamp-lit, thick carpet. The whole place smelled like a man, like men, smelled raw and disgusting. The mug-caked guy turned out his name was Mark. He stood beside Holly on the couch, and Jesus, his jeans were so fucking dirty. Holly couldn't help but wonder what had happened to him, wished she'd listened to whatever it was he'd said at that meeting. She reached forward to ash her cigarette, and Mark, he reached forward too, grazed his long fingers over hers, popped the cigarette loose, twirled it between his thumb and his index finger, and brought it to his smiling, smug mouth. It was smooth, for sure, and Holly was impressed, but in, like, a ridiculous way. She laughed at him. How many times you practiced that, she said. Never practiced nothing, Mark said. Well, then you must be terrible at a lot of things. Holly stood up, plucked her cigarette out of Mark's mouth, winked and smiled, turned quick so her hair whipped his cheek something she'd practiced many times at many parties with many boys. Mark held up his glass, straight whiskey, ice cubes piled tight. I like you, girl, something about you. Hank, that was the other guy's name, the guy with the tattoos. He was lurking around in the back of the room, beyond the glow of the lamplight. Then he came out of the shadows holding a mirror like a butler with a dinner tray nearly a dozen lines of coke all cut and lined up all perfect and even. Set it down on the glass table before the couch, beside a nice and neat pile of car magazines and catalogs. They took turns blowing lines through a rolled up 50, which was, weirdly enough, the only bill Mark had on him. The drip was hitting the back of Holly's throat when a crazy-ass sound lit up the speakers, like a big rainbow of sound bending across the room from the speakers and right into the center of her head. 
a sound like something straight out of a science fiction movie. And then she knew how she knew this music. It used to play on the classic rock radio stations nearly every day back in Dogbone, Michigan. That song about the kid from that book. The one about the kid who gets lost in the cave with the string and the Indian and all the whatever the fuck who cares. Something she'd read in school maybe but like couldn't remember. Holy shit I'm fucked she said or thought she said. Mark was like laughing or something up on his feet near the stereo doing that stupid dance that old people always did in black and white movies where they put their hands on their knees and bring their knees together and cross their arms in an X with their hands on the opposite knees now, then bring their knees back together, and Jesus, if it wasn't just the most goddamn corny thing she'd ever seen. Holly burst out laughing, and couldn't stop for nearly a minute, or maybe longer, and Mark was laughing too, his face all red, mouth hanging open so far, she could see that little purple dangling thing on the back of his throat just dangling there, and he just kept on doing that stupid old-timey dance and laughing, making both of them laugh so hard until her breath went away and her laughter got stuffed somewhere in her chest, her throat, and she felt sick, like she might be sick. Had she just taken another swig from the... And she was up, bolting across the room in no time, down a short hallway, throwing the bathroom door shut behind her. Relax. Jesus, relax. She had her hands on the lip of the sink, water dripping from her face, mouth contorting into weird words, not making a sound. The coke had hit her hard, made her jittery. Or maybe the coke had just put an edge on her drunkenness. She'd almost completely forgot that she was drunk. And now her hands felt like hot or something, like she was wearing mittens, fingers all clumped into useless claws. She wanted to throw up. She knelt over the toilet. She couldn't throw up. Nothing was coming up. The music pounded on the door, muffled. There was nowhere to go except back out there. Who the fuck were these guys? The panic was setting back in. The panic she felt in the car. She could barely remember being in the car. Where the fuck was her phone? There was pounding on the door. It wasn't music this time. It was a fist. What are you doing in there? It was Mark. He kept pounding on the door with his fist. Whatever mess you're making, you're cleaning it up. More pounding. And then Mark's voice was frantic. Almost a scream. What the fuck are you doing? Her nerves couldn't handle it. They were totally raw. She was on her feet, not thinking, panicking threw open the door, shouldered past Mark toward the kitchen in the back of the apartment. He caught her round the arm with his big hand. The kitchen was dark. Mark pulled her toward him. She crashed into his chest, crushed her nose, seeing stars, not feeling any pain. He had his arm around her neck and leaned on her, heavy as shit. She stopped struggling, wasn't sure if she'd been struggling. There was nowhere to go. She wanted to struggle. Down the hall, like a million miles away in the dim light of the living room, Hank sat on the couch, arms out at his sides on the cushions. He had his shirt off, huge hairy gut like a swollen rotten fruit. His pants were unbuttoned, fly unzipped, 
his fleshy chin pointing at the ceiling like he'd passed out. The music was blaring, all complex drums and shit, chiming synth stabs. Mark was holding her now. They were face to face. He was holding her around the waist, like they were dancing at the prom. He buried his face in the crook of her neck, weeping and shit, shifting his weight all stiff from foot to foot, lurching all of his motherfucking weight on her, pulling down on her, heavy as shit. Mark, she said, get the fuck off me, you're heavy as shit. But dude just kept leaning on her, crying into her shirt, his breath just reeking like unbelievably bad and hot, grinding his teeth and mumbling at the same time. Jesus Christ, Holly thought. More of this unbearable bullshit. All that black shit that people carry around inside them. That bile. Why did anyone think they needed to talk about that shit? Nobody cared. She didn't care. But Mark just kept going. Kept weeping. Holly got her arms up and onto Mark's biceps and shoved him as hard as she could. She wanted him to shut up, to stop talking, to stop crying. I thought you were dead, he said. And then he made like a sickening, choking sound. Holly shoved him again, but he just held her tight, tighter. Her hands balled into fists, like all on their own, and she just started slamming him, landing blows wherever she could, as hard as she could, pounding on his arms, his neck, his face, his ears. How badly she hated weak people, men who cried, people who were out of control of themselves. Get the fuck off me, she said. Let me go. But he just held tight, weeping. Holly pounding away. She didn't need any of this. She hadn't asked for any of this. She connected solid on the bridge of his nose with the butt of her fist, and Mark sucked in his breath and released her. She stumbled backward, hit the counter with the small of her back. A glass smashed on the floor. Fuck, she wasn't wearing any shoes. Mark was holding his face with his hands, still shifting his weight from one foot to the other, bits of glass crunching, his stupid lurching monster dance. Oh fuck, he said, voice wounded. Why'd you hit me, you crazy bitch? That fucking hurt. Holly was already halfway down the hallway, could feel the bits of glass in her socks, pushing into her feet, into the living room, music blaring louder than ever, a drum solo that clicked and thumped and rolled and splashed endlessly. She flopped onto the couch right next to the fat man, startling him out of whatever the fuck, his daze. His eyes popped wide, pink glassy marbles, and then he smiled like a lizard when he saw it was Holly. She stared at him a bit, biting her lip, then reached down into his pants and grabbed his bunched up balls, boxer shorts and all. Could already smell their stink. Is this what you want? She said, still staring at him, her mouth hanging open. Is this why you brought me here? She squeezed harder. Hank's mouth formed a little O. His lips were almost white. He took a few quick breaths. Maybe he felt some of that panic now. See how he liked being scared. Mark stood at the foot of the hallway, 
His face was bright red, eyes all puffy. He was rubbing the back of his neck. What the fuck is going on in here? His voice barely heard beneath the music. Holly didn't look up. Just kept staring at Hank. Yeah? You want me to suck your dick? Yelling above the music. Is that what you want? She turned to Mark, nodded, then turned back to Hank. What if I want you to suck his dick? Hank shook his head, still breathing quick little breaths. No, he said, no. No? Is that what you said? What if I told you that's what gets me wet? The wettest. Two dudes blowing each other. Then would you suck his dick? Hank just kept on shaking his head, almost like a nervous twitch, or like twitching with fear, like an alert rodent. Holly smiled and let go of his balls. She grabbed one of the bottles of booze off the table, grabbed it by its neck, leaned back into the couch and took a swig, liquid sloshing. She took down a mouthful and felt that familiar warmth fan out inside her skull, trickle down like a syrup through her ribcage. Come on, faggots, she said. Fuck each other for me. Give me a show. Get me wet. Mark's eyes were wide, eyebrows halfway to his hairline. He was looking at Hank, that same look from earlier at the Alano Club, that animal look, that secret male-animal communication. Whatever the message was, Hank seemed to get it. He was up off the couch, zipping his fly, buttoning his pants, and on the other side of the room in like no time at all. Faggots, Holly said, and laughed and took another pull off the bottle, let the room bleed out and took a huge swinging lurch. She felt herself drooling a bit, head lolling on her shoulders. She looked at Mark. I thought you said you liked me. Mark looked away moved to the stereo, cranked down the volume. The room still buzzed from the noise, from all the lamplight, or something was buzzing, Holly's head maybe. You fuckers are boring as shit, you know that? Wiped away her drool, sort of, with the back of her arm. I thought this shit was supposed to be a party. Fucking faggot fest. That shit's not funny, Mark said. Hank spoke slowly, voice soft. I think you better leave. She didn't hear him, or pretended not to hear him, either one, maybe a little of both. Where's that coke at? And then she was down on the floor, on her knees, bent over the table and blowing a line, switching up nostrils, then blowing another line, then fingering the residue off the mirror and rubbing it into her gums. Her head blew up big and fat, full of hot air. Neither Hank nor Mark did nothing to stop her, just like she knew they wouldn't. Faggots. Come on, she said. You brought me here to fuck me, didn't you? Or were you going to try to rape me? Thought you could take advantage of me? Her blood was buzzing, sizzling through her arms, fingers fat with heat. Sounds were sharp, separate, clashing against one another. All over the room she could see the way the shadows crawled around beneath the light squirming, and it was like, how come she'd never thought before how light is just covering up dark spots? Hank's fat, soft hand closed around her bicep and yanked her up off the floor, jerked her toward the door. I told you you need to go. 
I'm not asking. Holly couldn't believe one of these dudes had the balls to get physical with her, and it pissed her off. Bad. She raked her nails across his cheek, and he didn't even react. Just kept jerking her toward the door. She was laughing now. And then Hank gave her this look. And then things didn't seem so funny anymore. The look on Hank's face was ugly, scary, like an animal. She felt lost. She didn't know where she was. She was fucked out of her skull, teeth grinding like crazy. She let her body go limp, just let the weight of her bones pull her to the floor, fell hard on her hip. She lay on her back, stiff, legs twisted beneath her, jabbed her finger at Hank as she spoke. You take me outside and I'll scream rape or fire or whatever until the whole neighborhood's awake and calling the cops all at the same time. This gave the fat man some pause. He blinked once, then twice. His mustache twitched just slightly. Well then what are we gonna do? Cause you can't stay here, not the way you're acting. Holly's heart was tight. She was all froze up. She soldier crawled along the floor, pulled herself up onto the couch and flopped onto her stomach. Rolled onto her side, hair in her eyes, stuck against her lips. Mark was back in the corner of the room near the stereo, crying like a bitch again, rubbing at his eyes with closed fists like a big fucking baby bitch. He seemed to sense her staring at him, took a step back into the shadow, so it was like the dark of the room just bit his head off hiding his shame from her. And just like that, seeing that, that shame on that sad piece of shit's face, it brought up her own dark feelings, those black feelings, that toxic bile, like so much skin-stripping tar bubbling up beneath the cracked and arid desert bed. Her mother, Jesus. She wasn't that far removed from that psycho bitch, not really. They were so alike in a lot of ways. And wasn't that granddad? Wasn't that what granddad had told her once? And hadn't his face been screwed up with something like shame when he'd said, no, when he'd admitted that, when he'd pulled Holly aside, still in high school, and told her to watch herself, to curb her appetites? Her voice cracked when she spoke. Just let me stay here. Just turn off the lights. Let me stay here on this couch. I'll be quiet. There ain't no way, Hank said. You're fucking nuts. You need to get the fuck out. She didn't hesitate. Hank's words hit like fists. Her self-loathing, it opened her up, made her vulnerable to brutality. She didn't need to be told twice. It took her a few seconds to find her shoes, to figure out which shoe belonged on which foot. Jesus, her hands were still all hot and fat with throbbing blood. And then she was out the door and into the night, Mark's bitch sobs echoing like trapped light inside her battered and bruised skull. No phone. No wallet. Completely lost. For a while, she thought she might have been on a bus, throwing up near the door, the sound of someone pulling the emergency brake. Then bright lights. 
a pack of black kids on BMX bikes following her, laughing. Streetlights overhead, gliding overhead, falling, scraping her knees, fingering the blood on her knees. She sort of remembered crying a lot. Or maybe another bus. It was definitely another bus. Then a bench beneath the highway somewhere, the sound of breaking glass, yelling. She fell asleep on the bench. Her last thought seemingly important, but evaporating like a dewy fog before daylight cracked against her eyelids and lit up her thoughts as red as blood. Holly and her sisters lounged around the living room of the Tribeta house, nursing blue moons, watching but not really watching Sex in the City DVDs. They eagerly listened to her tell her story again for the fourth or fifth time. Best I can figure, Holly said, the cabbie dropped me off in front of the Untitled on Clark Street. I had no money and the first thing I remember was him yelling at me that I needed to pay him, that he was going to call the cops unless I paid him. This was her favorite part of the story. She'd had a receipt in her hand, all crumpled up, a receipt from Untitled that she'd stuffed in the pocket of her jeans earlier that week, when she'd been buying tank tops for the summer. The cabbie had taken her to the address on the receipt because, she guessed, she hadn't been able to remember where she lived. Her sisters laughed. Unbelievable, Betsy said. You're a legend, Susan said. This story will go down in Hell Week history, Claire said. The cabbie, to his credit, had taken her to her dorm, waited for her to run upstairs and grab some cash. She never did find her wallet or her phone, but those things, they were easily replaceable. All she had to do was go to the bank. There was always extra money, extra cushioning. She just had to find a way to get to it. When she finished with her story, taking an extra long pull of her blue moon, debating whether or not to attend her biology class later that afternoon, Holly thought about Mark and Hank, wondered what they were doing, and realized that she couldn't even remember what their faces looked like. I mean, not that she'd want to remember, it wasn't important. It wasn't, it was almost as if that whole night had never happened. After all, she couldn't really remember it. So it hadn't really happened. You know what? You should be proud, Betsy said, picking up Holly's empty bottle off the coffee table, taking it to the kitchen. Yeah, Claire said, you survived. Holly and her sisters laughed again. She was proud. She was a survivor. Of course she was. She let herself feel proud for a few seconds. But then, some other feeling started creeping in. Something she wouldn't let herself feel, couldn't let herself feel, not really. And it made her remember something the director of that AA meeting had said during his speech. Something that hadn't registered when she'd first heard it, but that hit home now. These meetings, he said, they shouldn't be called Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. They should be called group therapy for people who don't want to feel their feelings. 
Betsy handed Holly another beer. Are you going to class today, she said. Holly took the beer, looked at it, looked at Betsy, then at everyone else in the room. On the TV, the girls were drinking Cosmos in a restaurant, laughing, swapping stories. Holly stared down the neck of the bottle into the little amber bubbles. She thought about her mother. What would her mother do? She said, I don't know. Thank you for listening. Please join us next episode for Sasha Fletcher.